Greetings, and thank you for stopping by this science fiction podcast from Third Flatiron Publishing in Boulder, Colorado. Today we're presenting the short story In the Blood by Ken Altabeff. Ken, a retired physician turned full-time writer, is an active member of the Science Fiction Writers of America. He lives in New York with his lovely wife and two kids. For more from Third Flatiron, check out our website at thirdflatiron.com and subscribe to our RSS feed. This little mathematical tale is set in the Old West when Brother Dill's traveling circus and roadside carnival arrives in town, featuring Matthew, the boy genius. And now, here's In the Blood, read by Russ Rue. In the Blood by Ken Altabeff Brother Dill's traveling circus and roadside carnival passed through Carson City in October 1882. We've played a lot of towns and dragged a lot of country miles, but I'll never forget that one, no sir. Autumn rain had turned the dirt roads to red mud as we pulled in, as wet and bedraggled a troop as you ever did see. While the main company pounded stakes, the sideshow barkers went to work drumming up business. I set to putting up our little stage, my son Matthew holding the boards in place while I screwed them in. Then I stood him atop his soapbox. You okay? I asked. Fine, Pa, he answered. That was my boy, always short on words. Ten years old, he was a quiet one. Maybe life on the road's not much good for a boy, I don't know. He seemed half scared to death most of the time, though he wouldn't speak of it and looked at people fair strange when they weren't looking back. But a very good boy. And that was the day I'll always remember, the day everything changed. I wiped the slick drizzle from my forehead, pulled on a soggy old top hat, and warmed up my ten-dollar words. Ladies and gentlemen, gather round, gather round, I hollered. Here to amaze, here to astound your sensibilities, I present to you my son Matthew, the amazing Matthew, the boy genius. We gathered a fair crowd of about twenty curiosity seekers around, and the rain finally stopped. My son, this fine young man you see here before you, I pitched, whose brain is an amazing calculating machine. Let me have two numbers, gentlemen, the biggest you can think of. Twenty-six, threw out one bedraggled soul. Fifty-seven, added another. All right, all right, we have twenty-six and fifty-seven, and this little lad here will multiply these two numbers against themselves on the instant. I brought my arm around in a grand sweeping arc that ended at the soapbox. The answer, Matthew? 1,482, he said calmly. There you have it, folks, the boy genius. Have you ever before witnessed such a thing? His statement was met with the usual disarray among the crowd. None of them knew if the answer was correct. Someone came up with the bright idea to call in the town assayer. They acted as if they expected me to object, but I went and cheered them on. A fine idea, I said. Go and get him. My biggest problem was holding the crowd until this assayer fellow showed up. To that end, I launched into a couple of body jokes, real crowd-pleasers such as the one about the doctor and the milkmaid. After a few, the assayer appeared through the gathering crowd. A tall man in pinstripe jacket and cornsack pants, he looked the educated type. He even wore gold-rimmed spectacles. What was the question? he asked in a pale, reedy voice. 
Twenty-six times by fifty-seven, I said. All eyes turned to the assayer. The accountant withdrew paper and pencil and began figuring the answer. It took a few minutes. Usually the longer it takes, the better for me in the end. The crowd was just getting restless when he barked out. Fourteen hundred and eighty-two. I threw both arms toward Matthew and boomed, Correct! Boy genius has done it again. Have you ever seen the like? A mixed response from the crowd. This was maybe taking a bit too long. Care to give it another try? I said. Any two numbers. Seventeen, suggested a portly rancher. And the other? The assayer said, One thousand fifty-three. I put on a worried look and exhaled mightily. I dry-washed my face with my hands. All right, then, I said in a shaky voice. Seventeen taken by one thousand and fifty-three. My boy hesitated not a bit. Seventeen thousand nine hundred and one. Aha, I said. If I was a betting man. Ten dollars, said one cowpoke. Twenty. But no, no, I added, that wouldn't be fair. This is a boy genius here. I wouldn't want to take advantage. Laughs from the crowd. All eyes turned toward the assayer as he began figuring madly. I'm sorry, he said at last, but the boy's wrong. I get 1,106. A chorus of boos and hisses rose up. The crowd jostled, threatening to break apart. Now wait one minute, I said. You there, I pointed toward the assayer. Well, sir, I suggest you check your arithmetic again. You see, my boy is never wrong. Never. The crowd drifted back as the assayer took up his pencil again. In the end, he doffed his pork pie hat, made a comical little bow, and said, My apologies, good people. The sum is indeed 17,901. The boy is correct. A tremendous cheer rang out. Incredible, incredible, I purred. As I set out my top hat to catch their jubilant donations, a well-dressed man delivered a note on fine paper. Of course, I couldn't read it, but I called Matthew to my side. He piped up. Arthur Doakson, son, you are cordially invited to partake dinner at the home of Mr. W. Calhoun at six o'clock this evening. William Donner Calhoun, head honcho of the Virginia and Truckee Railroad, was the richest man in town. See, boy, I said, we're finally coming up in the world. The same manservant who had passed me the note at the carnival let us in. I'm afraid Matthew and I looked a sad sight, as we were still damp and the long walk up the hill to Calhoun's had left us tracking mud. The butler insisted we take off our boots and ran to get us each a fresh pair of socks. Calhoun's study was a large rectangular room, dressed up like the inside of a railway car with fine mahogany panels along the walls and a doorway at either end. The wall behind his desk was lined with bookshelves holding all sorts of odd and sundry items. Children's wind-up toys, music boxes, a balsa wood model of a frigate, and a couple of animal skulls, too. I guess rich people collect anything they want. One skull came from some sort of a gorilla. The other was even uglier. It was the skull of a cat, a real big one by the looks, with eye teeth long as knives. It seemed like something Brother Dill would have put in his freak show, to chill the spines of his hapless marks, but I guess those huge fangs weren't glued on. Somehow, I don't think Mr. Calhoun would take much truck with fakes. Calhoun strode into the room. A tall man, clean-shaved with sandy hair cut neat. 
He wore a sleek blue jacket of the military style, trimmed with gold at the cuffs and collar. He extended his hand. Mr. Dokes. I returned a firm grip, saying, A pleasure, sir. Calhoun nodded at Matthew. A fine-looking boy. Mrs. Heller informs me dinner will be ready shortly. Just the mention started my stomach to grumbling. What, sir, exactly will we be having? Calhoun chuckled. Roast turkey, sweet potatoes, string beans, rum cake. I nearly fell over. Can I offer you a brandy before dinner, he asked. Don't mind if I do. He took a crystal decanter from his desk. Your boy has an amazing mind. That's quite a trick he does. No trick, sir, I said. He's a calculating machine. Any two numbers. Any two? Asked Calhoun. What if I say... 57. Right as rain, I said. And the other? Calhoun turned to Matthew. You pick one. The boy blinked uncertainly. Well, go ahead, I said. Don't be rude. 78, Matthew said meekly. Okay, agreed Calhoun. 57 times 78, and that makes... 4,446, said Matthew. But the thing of it was, Calhoun recited the number at the exact same time. Now I really did go weak at the knees. Yes, said Calhoun. I can do it too. Your boy does not calculate the numbers, Mr. Dokes. He has instead a terrific memory. He's memorized the multiplication tables as far as the eye can see. So it is, in fact, a trick. And you can do it too? Yes. Having a memory for figures is quite an asset for an engineer. That's how I got to the top of the rail business. That and a lot of hard work, mind you. But a memory for figures and detail, yes, and a memory for what people say, for their different facial expressions. I don't suggest you try to lie to me, Mr. Dokes. I'll know it just by your face. No, sir. I remember everything, said Calhoun. I recall the day I came screaming into this world. I remember my circumcision, the sting of the doctor's knife, five days old. My first birthday, too. I remember all of it, every detail. Calhoun looked at me with such a mix of pain and pleasure in his eyes, I didn't doubt a word of it. He went on, But having a terrific memory has its drawbacks, too. I remember all sorts of things. I remember people, places, things that happened in the past. I pass a man on the street, and I remember he was my frigate captain 150 years ago. I look at my friend Bill Johnston, and I remember that same man as a French lieutenant on the fields of Gananoque. He died in my arms in 1812, but Bill Johnston, he doesn't remember any of it at all. Calhoun spoke to Matthew as much as to me, and damn if he wasn't studying that boy's face. I run into people all the time, but they don't remember the things I remember. I walk among them, a stranger drowning in a sea of familiar faces. This type of thing wears on a man, Mr. Dokes. Sometimes a body gets to thinking he might be crazy living like that. Calhoun gave my son a look I didn't very much care for. I was just on the point of protest when I noticed Matthew's reaction. I took a fortifying sip of brandy. And so I ask, said Calhoun, what do you remember, boy? I, said Matthew hesitantly. He walked over to the curio shelf. He indicated the gigantic cat skull with the dagger teeth. I remember that. That's very old, said Calhoun. My friends in New York call it a saber-toothed tiger. And just what do you remember about that? 
I remember the smell of its blood. Matthew! No, it's all right, insisted Calhoun. Let the boy speak. I remember that it was death, sudden death for any of our people unless they were very careful. We hunted that thing, but we had we had to do it smart-like. I made the noises to scare it. Haroo, haroo, I would say, while the others, they went sneaking around the other way. And I remember my heart beating fast. So fast, because that thing was death. But if you got it lined up just right in the canyon... Yes, that's right, added Calhoun. If we kept its back to the rocks, it would get skittish. And again, if a few of us came at it to one side, it would run the other way. My boy Matthew nodded, saying, And then someone would take his spear and neck it. I remember the taste, the salt and the fire and the blood. Yes, Calhoun said, its blood was sweet. Then Matthew and Mr. Calhoun both together cried out, I can't describe the unearthly chill it caused me to hear that guttural sound coming from my son's lips. Calhoun straightened his coat, momentarily embarrassed. He chuckled. Indeed, I believe I just heard the diner bell tolling. He put his arm around Matthew's shoulder and offered me a friendly nod. Only one way to settle my mind. But what were the chances of finding another like me? Let's head into dinner. We've quite a lot to talk about. And that night, my quiet little boy talked and talked and talked. The end. Thanks for listening to this podcast from thirdflatiron.com. Music and sound production were by Andrew Cairns.